You're listening to the Gates Church Podcast. For more information or to support this ministry, please visit thegates.org. All right, so we're going to be continuing our, our sermon series through First Peter and uh, called Living Hope because we've been saved through a living hope and we proclaim and live in that hope. So First Peter 3, 9 to 12 uh, is where we're going to be reading through today. So if you want to turn with me there, I'll also be on the screen there for you if you didn't bring your Bibles. But come on, you should be bringing your Bibles. First Peter 3, 9 to 12. Let's, let's read from there. This is the Apostle Peter speaking to the Christians. He says, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's alive. Lord God, that it, that it cuts to the marrow. Lord God, that, that it changes our hearts. And Lord, Lord, I pray that as we go through it this morning, that it would change our hearts, Lord, that it would soften our hearts, that we would be able to receive what you have for us this morning, Lord God. And I pray that, that, that anything that's of me and not of you, Lord, that you would just take that away, that people wouldn't receive that this morning, but that they would receive everything that you have for us to hear this morning, Lord. And, and um, as we've been going through First Peter, we're, we're so thankful for this word, Lord, and for, the, for how it's been so challenging and convicting and, and a reminder of who we're called to be as Christians uh, amongst each other and in the world, Lord. And I pray that you would continue to, 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 to help us to learn who we're supposed to be and who we're called to be in Christ, Lord. Uh, we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Ten years ago, summer 2007, I was playing soccer, and the gates, our church, actually had a soccer team, and uh, it was fun. And uh, so if you want to make another soccer team, that'd be pretty cool. If anyone here plays soccer, let me know. But back then, it was a more of a, you know, young adults church. There's a lot of young adults, a lot of people that played soccer. So we had a soccer team, and it was lots of fun. And so we were the church team, right? We were the Christian team in the, the, the secular house league, right? And um, everyone knew that, that we were the Christian team. And uh, one day in particular, one game in particular, it was, it was a nice sunny day, beautiful day. I, I drove to the game on my scooter, like, you know, had my, my gear, just 50 cc's of power. It was amazing. And uh, I was looking forward to playing, and we, we got out there, and we started playing the game. And there was this guy on the other team, and he was a, he was a tall, big guy, um, obviously, you know, goes to the gym a lot, and, and um, he was running around the whole game telling people, you know, stop tripping each other, stop pushing each other, and, and you know, I agreed with him, but he was getting a little bit annoying, and um, at one point in the game, probably about three quarters through the game, our team was setting up for a corner kick, so the play had stopped, you know, the whistle had blown, you know, the, the ball was, you know, out of bounds, right, nothing was happening, and I was standing in front of the crease and, and you know, getting in position for the corner kick, hopefully to score a goal, and all of a sudden... This guy, this big guy from out of nowhere, just boom, body checks me, and I fly to the ground, 
And I'm lying on the ground, and it took about a half a second for me to get back up and kick him right in the side. I just booted him as hard as I could. And then we stared at each other. And, and I'm looking up because he's like six foot something. And we stared at each other like, what's going to happen now? And then he started to chase me. And I, and I tried to turn and run, but I tripped and I fell and he got on me. And then a bunch of guys from my team, the Christian team, grabbed him and pulled him off. And then a bunch of other guys started to get into it. And then my wife, who had come to watch the game, she was three months pregnant at the time. She raced out onto the field like to join in. And, and, and my, my parents were there and my dad came running out too. And it just, it just got out of hand really quick. I ended up getting a red card. It's the first red card I've ever had. The other guy got a red card too. And anyways, they, they, they booted me off the field and I was all angry and, and walked off the field and then I jumped on my scooter and I was like, peace out. <laughs> Showed them. Anyways, I ended up getting suspended for two games. Something about soccer just brings that out of me. But when I retaliated like that to this guy, here's what I want to ask. What impression do you think that, 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 that I gave and that my team gave to the other team and to all those who are watching the game? You know, what, what impression did we give them and, and even to the league about who we are as Christians or about our church and therefore, you know, about the God we serve? Obviously not a very good impression, right? We didn't give a very good impression. Um, they weren't very impressed with me. The league wasn't very impressed. They, I think they wanted to spend me for more games, actually. They were not impressed. And I asked these questions. You know, it's a funny story. Uh, it was a stupid thing I did. But I asked these questions on in jest and not lightly for us because in the last couple of weeks going through First Peter, right, what have we been talking about? We've been talking about what it means to live as Christians in the world, Right? First of all, by being different, right? We're called to be like Christ. We're called to, to be a holy nation set apart for God, countercultural to the world, right? We're called to be different. And then secondly, we're called to live in the world by submitting to people in positions of authority. Not in, not in slavery, not because we have to, but because in our freedom in Christ, we choose to humbly submit to those in authority in order to be examples of Christ to the world. Right? But what happens when we look and act differently from the world while simultaneously choosing to submit to those in authority in the world? What's going to happen to us then? Well, first of all, I'm sure I don't have to convince any of you when I say that us humans have proven over and over again that we have a knack of treating people who are different very poorly, right? very harshly even, sometimes in fear. Anywhere from kids interacting on the playground to adult in society, right? From religious groups to people groups. Basically, since mankind was booted from the garden, humans don't deal well with different, right? So as Christians, if we're acting differently in the world, in our culture, then we can expect, you know, to be ostracized or, or, or hated or disliked in some way or another, right? We can expect that. Secondly, it won't take long for abusive or controlling people to start taking advantage of us once they catch on to our willingness to humbly submit to them, right? It's going to happen. 
Not to mention that Jesus himself tells us in Luke 21, 7, that you will be hated by all for my name's sake. As Christians, we're guaranteed to get some abuse. Right? We're guaranteed to get some pushback. Anywhere from simple mockery on, on an internet message board or being treated poorly at work uh, or to full-out persecution and suffering. Right? We'll be talking a lot more on persecution and suffering in the coming weeks, which I keep promoting um, because I know you guys are looking forward to it. Um, so let's just put that topic on the back burner. But for now, the point here is that if we're living our lives in a Christ-like way in the world, and if we're proclaiming his gospel, right, which is the good news that sinners can and need to be saved by Jesus Christ because he took their sin upon himself, right, that can be offensive to some people. They don't want to hear that, they, that their sinners need to be saved. That can be offensive, right, and that the only way to be saved is through Jesus Christ, also offensive to the world, right? Because they want to save themselves. They want to make up their own ways to save themselves. Right? They, don't want to, they don't want to hear that they can't do it themselves. That's offensive. So if we're preaching that and we're proclaiming that, then we're guaranteed to be the recipients of some sort of pushback, of, of cursing, of, of reviling, of hurtful actions toward us, of being ostracized or whatever. Right? Um, hopefully we'll see the opposite of that happen as well. Hopefully that in, in, in proclaiming Christ and being examples of Christ, we'll, we'll see hearts come to know him and receive him but that doesn't change the fact that some hearts will be hardened toward us and they'll hate us and they'll be offended by us. We don't want them to be, but it'll happen. So in light of that, we need to be prepared to deal with it, right? We need to know how we're called to respond to hate when it happens to us. That is, when we get body checked to the ground as Christians from seemingly out of nowhere, should we get right back up and kick them or body check them back? Right? When they call us names, should we call them names back? When they take something from us, should we take something from them? When they cheat us or take advantage of us, should we, should we harbor bitterness and do the same to them? Go all Old Testament, right? Take an eye for an eye. Make them feel what we feel. That would be our natural human nature-like response to those situations, right? To retaliate, to take revenge. But as Christians, we're filled with the Spirit of Christ not to act in a natural way, but in a supernatural way. And 1 Peter 3.9 tells us what that looks like. It says, Do not repay evil for evil, a reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called. When, pe- when people mistreat us, especially because of the name of Jesus, when people mistreat us, we don't retaliate with evil. We respond with blessing. And this isn't up for debate, unfortunately. And it's not negated by possible what-if scenarios. Or what if this happened? What if, what if this and this happened? Am I justified in retaliating with evil if this happens to me? Right? There's no personal exceptions to this. I say that because, you know, when someone hurts me, it's easy for me, as I've already demonstrated, it's easy for me to be like, but this situation is different. They, they hurt me. They hurt me. So I'm, I'm justified in, 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 in retaliating against them. I'm justified in making sure that they feel the pain that they've, that they've given to me. 
right? And we all think that way when the hurt happens to us, right? We think we're the exception to this rule, but there's no exceptions to this rule. It's the simple black and white commandment for us as Christians. Do not repay evil with evil. Do not slander, which means to smear or talk badly about people. Do not slander or abuse those who do it to us, but instead bless Less. And in case anyone's wondering if this is some wackadoodle, hippie, pacifist moment of weakness that Peter is having right now while he's writing the letter, let's remember first of all that Peter was one of the disciples who carried a sword and the only disciple to use the sword. He chopped off a guy's ear. Peter's primary human nature was to be anything but a pacifist, right? Yet here we are. His mindset and his nature has been completely made new by the blood of Christ. He's been completely changed, transformed in his thinking here. And we see the same change in the Apostle Paul as well, right? The former Pharisee who encouraged the stoning of Christians. And then he says in Romans twelve fourteen, after coming to know Jesus, he says, right? He's changed. He says, bless those who persecute you. Bless And do not curse them. And we could argue, well, it's easy for him to say. It's easy for him to tell others to do that, right? But he actually also proves it and exemplifies this attitude in his personal life as well. 1 Corinthians 4, 11 to 13. This is Paul talking to the Corinthians, right? He says, to the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labor working with our own hands. And when reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. Paul's become the lowest in society, the refuse of all things. But even when brought to the lowest place in society, when reviled, he blesses. When reviled, we bless. And contrary to what our society tells us, this isn't weakness, right? This kind of attitude isn't chickening out and, and failing to stand up for, your, for ourselves, right? In fact, this kind of attitude is much harder to do. It takes way more courage, right? It's much, much easier to lash out at somebody who hates you, right? Someone punches you, our, our reaction is to punch back, right? That's easy to do. There's worse consequences in the end, but in that moment... That's much easier to do. But it's incredibly difficult in a moment like that to turn the other cheek. And even more difficult to go beyond just turning the other cheek and actually responding to their hate with blessing. And on that note, I'm going to talk in a bit about what it means to bless others in this context. But first I want to talk about why we're called to avoid retaliating against those haters who are just going to hate. Um, and there's multiple reasons, but I'm going to highlight a few of them in the hopes that when we're faced with situations like this, when we're in a situation like this, then, then we'll have that knowledge and resolve to, to, to keep us from doing something stupid and unchristlike. Because when we're in that moment, when we're in that moment of anger and rage, do we think rationally? No, we don't think rationally. When we're in that moment, when someone says something against us, we immediately want to defend ourselves. 
Right? And so we need to actually be changed before we get into that moment. We need to be prepared before we get into those moments so that we respond appropriately. So number one, we don't retaliate. There's three points. Number one, we don't retaliate against haters because we're eternally blessed. That's the first reason, because we're eternally blessed. Uh, let's read verse 9 again, First Peter 3, 9. It says, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. First of all, I just want to say what this doesn't mean. Because it sounds like it sounds like it means that in order to obtain God's blessing, you have to bless others. Like that's called works righteousness. That's not what this is what it's not what this means. Um, because as Peter's already acknowledged earlier in his letter, uh, our blessing from God, our blessing of salvation and eternal life and, and relationship with God, all those things come solely and completely from the person and work of Jesus Christ, who freely gives it to us, right, when we believe in his name. We don't have to work for it, we don't have to do anything for it. But what this verse is saying though is that we've been, if, if we've been truly saved by Christ, if we've been truly changed, right, if we've truly been made new, if we truly hope and believe that we have an inheritance of, of blessing waiting for us, then we'll live to bless others. If we've truly been blessed by God, then what we'll do is we'll live to bless others. Right? And we'll also live to bless others because we want people to experience that same blessing that we've received. Right? Because just like those who, who will revile against us and hurt us and, 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 and call us names or whatever, right? we were once in their shoes as well. Right? We were once walking in sin. We were once evil. We were once walking in darkness. And so we want to bless because we want those people to see and know Jesus Christ just like we have, right? To experience with us the living hope that we walk in, which nothing, not slander, not hate, not death, right, can separate us from. We bless because we want people to know that. But in the same vein as well, I think you know, persecution and suffering against us also becomes evidence that we are blessed, becomes evidence of our faith and hope in Christ, right? Evidence of the truth that we have a great reward waiting for us in heaven. Matthew 5, 10 to 12, on this point off with Jesus' words here, who says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So number one, we don't retaliate with evil because we are blessed. So we bless because we're blessed, right? So number two, we don't hate the haters because we desire to love life. Who here desires to love life? Just one person. <laughs> Terry, Terry wants to love life. That's awesome. The rest of you want to hate life? I don't understand. Um, <laughs> let's try that again. Who here desires to love life? Then heed these words. First Peter 3.10, 12a. He's quoting Psalm 34 when he writes, For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil 
and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. We all know that it doesn't feel very good to be angry, right? When you're in that, that moment of anger, it's, it's like there's like a dark cloud over you. And like I said before, you, you make irrational decisions. You, you snap at everybody. You just, you just don't feel good, right? When you're in that, that, that angry state. But on the opposite spectrum, it does feel good, however, when we, when we do the right thing, right? When we do good things for others. We feel good about it, right? That's altruism, right? God designed us that way to feel good about doing good things for others and, and to enjoy feeling good. With that being said, though, it's Jesus' glory, right? Not, not our personal satisfaction that should motivate us to do good things for others. All the good things we do should point people to Christ, but feeling good is a positive side effect that certainly increases our quality of life and points us to the eternal life that we have in, in Christ, right? But on the flip side, if we want to go through life feeling angry, that's what you want to do. If you want to hate life, if you want to be filled with rage and quick to lash out with bitter remarks and slanderous lies to make people that have hurt us feel bad, if we want to go through life unable to allow ourselves to love or be loved, then by all means, hold on to your bitterness. Lash out at those who hate you to your heart's content. Because you can convince yourself that that you're justified in doing that. Absolutely. But you certainly will not enjoy life. That kind of living is exhausting and tiring. Right? I watched a, a movie with uh, my wife the other day called The Help. You probably, most of you have probably seen it. It's about um, in the 60s they, had, they made black women be their maids. Basically, they're slaves still. It's ridiculous. And this one white lady made it her, like, her life goal to, to make the lives of these black women just horrible. And she constantly got them fired and stuff. And at the end of the movie, um, um, one of the main characters goes up to her and says, aren't you tired? Aren't you tired? And then she starts crying because she's been living her life in this like revenge state, this, this hate state, right? This of anger and just, and just wanting to ruin people's lives so that she feels better, but she does not feel better. That kind of life is not enjoyable. It's exhausting and tiring. But more than that, if our hearts have truly been changed by Christ, the simple yet powerful truth is we'll desire to keep from sinning. As it says in the passage, we'll turn from evil and we'll desire to do good. So our goal, our, our goal and our desire, even in the midst of hurt, even in the midst of, of people doing evil things to us, will be like Jesus is, no matter what, to seek and pursue peace. And the opposite of that, personally responding to sin with sin, it's like fighting fire with fire, right? It just makes matters worse. It only serves to create deeper chasms of anger and bitterness between all the people involved. And again, even while I'm speaking, though, I'm sure that each of you can think of 
of a lot of things that have and will be done to us as Christians and, done to, and things that have been done to people we love that make us angry, right? Things that make us feel like, like we are justified in getting revenge. But as Paul writes in Ephesians 4.26, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. There's a lot of things that will make us feel angry, righteously angry. A lot of injustices happen to us and to people we love that will make us feel angry. But be angry and do not sin. Retaliating with malice and revenge is allowing our anger to turn to sin. And the wages of sin is death, not life. Do we want to love life or seek death? We want to love life. I want to love life, right? I especially don't want to waste it dwelling on people that have hurt me. I don't want to waste my life in taking revenge on them, refusing to, to move on with my life because they hurt me, so I'm, so I'm bitter against them and I'm holding that bitterness and unforgiveness against them. Besides, that's just letting them win anyway, isn't it? God wants us to love life. Which is why he's taken that burden and that need to retaliate away from us and has called us instead to bless. Because in blessing others, we are blessed. So we don't hate because we want to love life. And finally, number three, we don't personally retaliate or punish those who hate us because we trust in God's justice. As Christians, we trust in God's justice. First Peter 3.12 says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. As Christians, right, we've been saved from judgment, right? We've been saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. We've been covered in his righteousness. And so we of all people should be more than willing to submit and trust God's judgment for other people, even those who hurt us, right? We should be more than willing to trust God because he saved us. He rescued us from what we actually deserved. So we should trust him to make the right decision for others rather than be quick to, to judge and retaliate against evil ourselves. Not to mention that if we choose to retaliate, then we just become the evil person that the Lord is against. Right? We, 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 if we choose to retaliate, we're saying, no, no, thank you, Jesus. I don't want your righteousness. I'm going to take care of this myself. But we don't have to choose that. We don't have to choose that because we have a God whose eyes are on us. He sees and knows what we're going through. He empathizes with what we're going through because Jesus suffered it himself. He experienced it himself. So in times of suffering and hurt, we can come to him in prayer and, and, and find comfort and strength and, and peace through him, even in the midst of trials, right? And this also means that, that, it, that, that while people are reviling us, we don't have to stick up for ourselves. We don't have to fight back. Because we have a mighty God who's doing that for us. I want to 
quickly point out here, though, that this doesn't mean that, that as Christians we're supposed to just let people walk all over us. Or in the same vein, it doesn't mean that we have to remain in, in abusive or hurtful situations or relationships if, we're, if we have the ability to get out of them, right? That's not what this is saying. It's just saying when you're in the midst of being persecuted, this is how we respond. It doesn't mean you have to stay in those situations. And even then, some situations of abuse or hurt may call for us to alert the authorities, right? To call the police or whatever, right? That's totally fine. There's nothing wrong with doing that. Because our calling is to seek justice and peace, right? We're just not supposed to take it upon ourselves to enact that justice. But we can call the authorities. We can call those who are in authority, right? Because as we discussed early in First Peter, God has placed those in authority in the world for that purpose, right? To deliver proper justice. And so it's okay to go to them if we need to. But again, even if they don't, you know, enact proper justice for us, those in authority in the world, because sometimes they fail us, no matter what, we still have a sure hope in God that in the end, God will not fail us. God never fails us. And that's the main point here. Proverbs 20, 22 says, Do not say, I will repay evil, but wait for the Lord and he will deliver you. The Lord hears our prayers. He hears our cries for help. And he'll not only deliver us, but he'll turn all things for good for those who love him, right? His justice is perfect. His will is perfect. So instead of revenge, instead of repaying evil for evil, we look to God and we trust in his perfect justice. That's why we don't retaliate. But instead, then we bless. We bless. So what does it mean to bless those who hurt us? I think the only way to truly answer that question is to look at the way Jesus did it for us. So turn with me to Luke 23, 33 to 35. At this point, Jesus has just been unjustly convicted to death. He's been beaten. He's been mocked. He's carrying his cross. And this is where we find him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull... There they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by watching. But the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. And it goes on, he continues to be mocked, put a crown of thorns on him. And so as Jesus was being murdered, as soldiers stole his garments, as he was being mocked and beaten, in the midst of all this that's happening to him, he calls out to God and asks that they would be forgiven. That's crazy. 
And this is what it means to bless those who revalue. And I want to point out that anyone here who calls him or herself a Christian is a recipient of this kind of blessing, of this kind of grace and mercy. Because again, it was us in our sin who mocked him and hung him on that cross. But instead of pouring out his wrath on us, instead of fighting back, instead of cursing us, or even just simply allowing us to be destroyed in our sin, he took it all upon himself and prayed that we would be forgiven. That's the way Jesus blesses us. And so that's the way we're called to bless those who hate us. And it's a powerful thing. With grace, with mercy, and with meekness. So more specifically then, what does it mean to bless those who persecute us? First of all, it means we pray for them. We pray for their salvation. We pray for their forgiveness. And yes, even when they don't apologize. Luke 6.28 says, Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Pray for them. Not a passive-aggressive type of prayer. Blair and I were laughing about this, how Christians are always like, use a passive-aggressive way of, of, of judging people. You know, like if someone hurts you and then we say to them, well, I'll be praying for you then, right? We all know what that means. That doesn't mean we actually want to pray for their salvation. We're like, mm, Lord, give them what they deserve. That's not the type of prayer we're supposed to pray. Lord, don't give them what they deserve. That's the type of prayer we're supposed to pray. When we pray for our enemies... When we pray for those who hate us and revile against us, we need to truly mean it. We need to truly want them to see and know the grace of Jesus. Moving on then to bless also means we freely give even more. We give even more to the one who steals from us or to the one who takes advantage of us. This is a hard one. Especially, I think. Matthew five forty to 41. It says, And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. In this situation, we usually respond with, No way. I'm not giving this person any more. They've already taken enough from me. I'm not giving them any more. They don't deserve it. Well, to that I say, neither did we. Again, we hung Jesus on the cross, and yet he responds with giving us the kingdom. We didn't deserve that. I liken this idea to, just think of a a nerd in high school that always gets bullied. A bully always steals his lunch, right? And this one particular day, the nerd decides, before the lunch bell rings, you know, in high school or whatever, right? To, the nerd decides to go up to the bully and say, hey, do you want to sit with me at lunch? And I'm going to actually buy your lunch for you. 
What's, what do you think is going to happen in that situation? I think the bully's heart would be softened. Even just a little bit. But if the nerdy guy tries to fight back every lunch hour, tries to defend himself, that bully's just going to keep on coming. Right? In other words, reconciliation and grace win every time. So if they force you to go one mile, you go two. Be even better and kinder and more giving than they deserve. And that's when we'll see their hearts soften. So to bless so far means to give sacrificially, right? It means to pray for their forgiveness and salvation, but it also means that we refuse to hurt those who hurt us. That's a blessing in and of itself, right? That we refuse to hurt them. Matthew 5, 38, 39 says, You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, this is Jesus saying, I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Right? To bless means that we love our enemies and we refuse to do anything unloving to them. We resist doing evil things, even to those who are evil. Why? Because, again, this is exactly what Jesus did for us while hanging on the cross. He refused to fight back. He humbly and willingly turned the other cheek and gave his life. And finally, in the same vein, to bless then means we genuinely love those and lay down our lives for those who seek to hurt us. Matthew 5.44 sums everything up. But I say to you, love your enemies and, again, pray for those who persecute you. And in a nutshell, then, to, to bless the haters is to respond to them with a genuine hope and desire for them to be freed from their sin. To have compassion on them. To understand that they are hating you because they are trapped in sin. And so we respond with compassion, desiring for them to be released from that sin. To return their hate-filled desire, which wants to see us suffer, with a love-filled desire to see them have victory in their lives. It's to show them what grace and mercy looks like. More than that, to bless them is to show them what the love of Christ looks like. And how it can break down any wall of hostility. And replace that wall with peace. And not just with one another, but ultimately with God. And I know that this kind of living that we're called to is certainly easier said than done. But it's how we've been saved. And, it's therefore, and therefore, it's what we've been called to model and display. To bless because we've been blessed. So let's decide right now then, as followers of Christ... Let's decide now before it's too late, before, again, before we're in the moment and we respond inappropriately or unchristlike because we didn't resolve right in this moment to choose to bless rather than take revenge. Let's decide in this moment to do that. To not retaliate against those who hurt us, but bless them.
Each of you have to make that choice on your own. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you've called us to be renewed, to be restored, to be transformed, to be different, to be set apart, to be holy. Lord, in living out that life of holiness in this world, Lord, I'm not going to lie, it's difficult, it's challenging. And our flesh is constantly fighting against that. Especially on a topic like this, Lord, of not lashing out, of not taking revenge against those who hurt us, Lord God. But Jesus, just as you did for us, Lord, and as we've seen others, others do as well, like, like, like Stephen who was stoned to death and prayed for the forgiveness of those stoning him, Lord, and, and, and the Apostle Paul, who was brought to the lowest possible place in society, yet he's still blessed when he was reviled. Lord, I pray that you would instill in us that same attitude that when people persecute us, when people hurt us, when people come against us because of your name, Lord God, that we would not respond to them with evil, that we would not respond to their hate with hate, Lord God, but that we would respond with blessing. Lord, teach us what that means. Help us to make that decision right now in this moment to live that way. And in doing so, Lord God, I pray that you would use us to advance your gospel, to advance your kingdom, to shine your light to the world, Lord, to show them what it truly means to be blessed and filled with grace and hope. Lord, we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.